Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy is effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Cool song! Welcome to the Bechdel cast! Hi! Yay! My name's Jamie. My name's Caitlin. And this is our second Seattle Live episode of the Bechdel Cast! Yeah. A lot of familiar faces. <laughs> Thank you! I Someone... changed velvet suits because I care. <laughs> and I just have many velvet suits. Gotta get airtime for all of them <laughs> on our audio podcast. I'm in the same outfit, so... I'm in the same Crocs. <laughs> so, we all... Choices were made sure. this night. Indeed. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. Clap if you are a listener of the Bechtel cast. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, is there anyone here who came with a friend and hasn't heard the show before? Okay, we got Woo! one. A shaking hand. <laughs> Rose in the audience. This is, okay, so Caitlin and I, when we go to do live shows in various cities, we have so far never done a movie that takes place in the city. In fact, we always do movies that take place in the absolute wrong city. (laughs) And people are, how you say, angry about this when we do this. (laughs) did Princess Diaries in New York. That's a movie about San Francisco. Correct. <laughs> we did, in San Francisco, we did uh, The Breakfast Club. It takes place in the suburb of Chicago. I think the easiest way to get us to do the correct movie in the correct city is to put the name of the city in the title. Yes. Although we could have done this movie in New York. <laughs> so it's... Sleepless in Seattle is the name of the movie we're doing. Yeah. By yeah. round of applause, who has seen the movie? And uh, who, which, which Seattleite is that? Right? Ooh. That's fun to say. Uh, 
which Seattleite is, is the holdout and has not seen Sleepless in Seattle. <gasps> We've got some edge lords in the crowd. <laughs> I love it. When you think about it, Caitlin, and I feel like I'm about to really polarize the audience, mm. but when you think about it, canonically, <laughs> is Seattle a spinoff of Boston? <laughs> um, because Cheers, Frazier. Okay, oh. that's what I'm. I don't mean oh. like culturally, Jesus. <laughs> I mean Frazier spun off Cheers. Seattle spun off Boston. It's canon. I see. <laughs> That's just my hot take for the <laughs> evening. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but despite this movie taking place at least partly in Seattle, this movie barely is about Seattle. Like it, She seems to be mostly sleepless in Baltimore and New York. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shall we bring our guest? Yes, we should. Yes, our guest is awesome. She is a local Seattle comedian. Uh, she runs a weekly show at this very space, The Rendezvous, called Comedy Nest, and she recently opened for Cameron Esposito. Give it up for Andy Iwancio. Iwancio. I fucked it up. Iwancio. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for being here. <laughs> To make it very, you actually have to pass a test to begin speaking. I thought you were gonna like ask me to play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a Billy Joel situation. Here. Suddenly, a piano is wheeled up, and you're like, <laughs> "We're gonna see if you're on the podcast." <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Um, tell us about your history and your relationship with Sleepless in Seattle. Historically. I've lived in Baltimore as well as Seattle. Okay. <laughs> and Is this so a biopic? <laughs> kinda. <laughs> it kind of works out if you think about it as gender. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, but the other one, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I worked on the harbor right where she like sulks on a bench for most of the movie. Sure. Romantically. <laughs> yes. Stockingly. It's, it's one of the postcards she stares at. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. Wow. Okay. And then I worked on a ferry that went around that harbor. And so you'd give like a fake tour to people to get <laughs> tips. Mm -hmm. And so they had installed these lamp posts that weren't really ever there. Wait, they installed them for the movie? Yeah, they okay. install them. They're in the movie. You can see them. They look old-timey and stuff. Whenever people have budgets, they just do, like, fucked-up random things. For no when they were shooting The Wire in Baltimore, <laughs> they actually had to install dilapidated houses. Because, <laughs> like, not all the neighborhoods had them. or Like, they created bus stops. It was pretty, it was pretty hilarious. They did everything the city couldn't do. <laughs> But my partner pointed out that he worked on the same ferry, and then he was working on some pirate ship that went around mm. Seattle's harbor, and then he realized he spent most of his summer pointing out the house from Sleepless in Seattle. No! <laughs> the so he's really got the connection. Wow. wow. Impressive. And wild. I sleep next to him, so that's like contacts. <laughs> Yeah, that's the transitive property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like next to someone who has the info, <laughs> you also have the info. 
that's how it works. We're both trans, so we just it just happens. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like a Voltron of ambiguities. <laughs> well, to to bring up the the Fight Club episode which we recently did, it's like Tyler knows this, so I know this. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same yeah. thing. Uh, when did you first see Sleepless in Seattle? I honestly seen bits and pieces of it at like family gatherings for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't until I like really sat down to watch it a couple weeks ago that I really like sat through the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. You're not wrong. I have no, I have no notes for this. <laughs> All right, Caitlin, what's your history? I had never seen it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I can feel myself getting sick currently. That's my fault. And also, I'm better. <laughs> so. Oh, no. <laughs> I had never seen this movie before uh, until like a week ago when we started prepping for this tour. Mm. Yeah, it just it's not the type of movie that I would ever seek out. Uh, our friend Catherine. Savage. I know. I'm so sorry. Yes. Uh, our friend Catherine who I watch a lot of movies with, had been trying to get me to watch this movie for, like, a year. And meanwhile, I was, like, making her watch Paddington and stuff. (laughs) And I I kept refusing, but I did often posit theories as to what the movie might be about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, it's about how Meg Ryan owns a bookstore in Seattle (laughs) and Tom Hanks owns a bigger bookstore called Amazon. And and they are fighting about it, but then they start emailing and they fall in love over email. Wrong and one. Well, I know that now because <laughs> uh, I had also never seen You've Got Mail and Catherine was always trying to get me to watch that. But Should we call You've Got Email? That's my only note for that movie. <laughs> Otherwise, perfect piece Otherwise, of cinema. Feminist text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your history with Sleepless in Seattle? Um, I kept, sort of came to this movie in a, in a bizarre reverse way. I Before I saw any of Nora Ephron's movies, I saw the documentary about her, uh, the Everything is Copy documentary, uh, which was really good. And she's like a fascinating figure with some serious blind spots. <laughs> but I first like became interested in Nora Ephron and then went back maybe about a year or two ago and like started watching back all of her movies we did when Harry met Sally mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast. So I had to watch it then. And I, I watched sleepless in Seattle for the first time, maybe a year or two ago. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, mm. cause I <laughs> very much, uh, love Nora Ephron. And yet this movie, Oh no, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, it was, it was weird cause it was like, fa- like, Falling in love with an artist and then two days later being like, what have you done to me? It was a real fling I had with Nora Ephron and she let me down almost mm. immediately. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You know, she's dead. So oh. rest Can't. in power. So I showed her. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> oh, okay. That's one way to look Got at her. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is now the roast of Nora <laughs> Is this a normal part of the show where you say whether or not you've beaten somebody by living longer than them? No, but it's now a part of the show <laughs> where I roast everyone who can't roast me back because I'm a coward. <laughs> 
I'm still somewhat of a Nora Ephron stan, and I like I like a lot of what she represents, and she did pave a lot of paths for future female writers and filmmakers. And I don't want to disc. I mean, I have a whole thing, but I love <laughs> Nora Ephron. This movie is yikes. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's jump in with the recap, recap. shall we? Yes. Okay. So. This movie starts out basically the same exact way that the movie The Rock starts out because <laughs> his wife. It's Tom Hanks staring at a gravestone that might as well say his wife. Because <laughs> she has just died. And he's more much like The Rock when Ed Harris, he's sort of yelling at the gravestone. He, yeah. <laughs> Why do these men yell at the gravestones of and their recently deceased? <laughs> In Ed Harris's case, it's raining heavily, so he's yelling through the weather (laughs) to the grave. Sure. This this is where you can start the drinking game of, like, if you take a shot every time you see something famous that should be on a postcard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the entire movie is just shots of stuff. Even Chicago seems to raise up like it's trying to check out what's happening. <laughs> like the buildings come up over the hill like, what? Who died? <laughs> Go away, Sears Tower. Right. The movie I'm does... having a moment here. <laughs> There's this weird reveal that doesn't need to happen where it, it seems like they're in like just a grassy rural graveyard and then there's like a tilt that's like, wait a minute, they're near a city and it's like, who cares? People in in cities aren't supposed to die. (laughs) They were like, wait a second, so in this universe, people who live in cities die. It's it's almost like, well, there's two ways we can do it. We could just put Chicago at the bottom of the screen. No, that's not good enough. (laughs) It needs to tilt in the entire skyline up here, like a musical number from Chicago. a full-on Dutch angle. They do introduce it basically like Tom Hanks is like, so, to recap, my wife is dead. And and the kid's like, why? And he's like, that just happens sometimes. And the kid's like, oh, thank you. (laughs) And that's the first scene. Yes. Why are they yelling? I don't know, but Tom Hanks spends almost the rest of the movie yelling still. (laughs) Yes. He's a America's sweethearts are really fucking creepy and mean in this movie. So he his his wife has just died of cancer and he is heartbroken because we're they were very much in heartbroken. love. Heartbroken. Yeah. And he decides that he needs a change of scenery because everything in Chicago reminds him of his wife. Which and, and again, it's another famous part of Chicago. Right. It's another. It's them going into Wrigley Stadium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just another postcard that reminds Oprah's him of his wife. Oprah's throwing a pitch. Like, <laughs> you're like, why is this happening? <laughs> so he takes his young son Jonah. And they mm-hmm. moved to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Ever heard of it? Um. <laughs> the cast member of Frasier in this movie lives in Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Which is, a, but then here's my theory. They heard David Hyde Pierce say, utter the word Seattle, and they're like, now hold on a second. <laughs> We've got to get this guy in a Seattle based piece of media. Sure. And that's why he won all those Emmys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good theory. Thank you. Okay. 
So we cut to 18 months later. Uh, we are in Baltimore. We meet Annie. That's Meg Ryan's character. Also, uh, Tom Hanks is, his character's name is Sam. So We're probably Annie... going to call him Tom Hanks. Right. <laughs> so Annie, a.k.a. Meg Ryan, uh, has just gotten engaged to Walter. That's Bill Coleman. Bill Pullman. Pullman. Mm-hmm. But he is a dweeb who is allergic to everything. So Which we don't like him. We can, <laughs> we can get into this Nora Ephron school of man who is addicted to you and faithful to you above all others, yet he has an allergy, is repulsive. <laughs> oh, no, he's into aromatherapy. <laughs> Dear Lord, our bedroom is so moist at night and comfortable. It smells like lavender. I need to divorce this man. <laughs> This sexy man who doesn't care when I'm essentially cheating on him. (laughs) She is driving in her car and she's flipping through the radio and she hears a kid. She's yelling? She's yelling at the radio. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah, She's like, better change the channel. Like, what is, who is the uh, sound guy on this movie? There's no rhythm in this movie. (laughs) If you like watch the Christmas character, because I was literally watching it before it came here, and she does not sound like she's ever sang a Christmas carol before. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, and jingle bells. Tone deaf, Meg Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if she's yelling at radio, she's kind of like us. Like, we're always, you know, criticizing media. So, no, she sucks in this movie, though. (laughs) And we're cool and good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, she's driving in a car. She is listening to the radio and she hears a kid call into a radio show, this kid being Jonah, Sam's son, and he speaks with Dr. Marsha, who's like an advice radio host person, Mm -hmm. and he's like, my Christmas wish is for my dad to have a new his his wife. wife. So then Jonah puts his dad on the phone and they talk to Dr. Marsha about his wife. Yeah, but then also like Tom Hanks is back and forth in this movie and like he's either very endearing on the radio or yelling at his son on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like read the room, dumbass. <laughs> like why are you yelling at your son on national radio? <laughs> It doesn't stop, like, 2,000 women from being like, he seems like the greatest guy in the world. I mean, speaks to their judgment of character, because Jesus Christ, he's yelling at his son the whole movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to kick your teeth in. He's so dreamy. (laughs) (laughs) So he's talking to the lady, and he's like, I can't sleep at night. I'm sleepless. I live in Seattle. And that's where we get the name of this movie. Dr. (laughs) Marsha. Annie, who is listening, is like, wow, this guy seems nice. She's like, wow! She's (laughs) yelling. (laughs) She almost wrecks her car. (laughs) She says, like, three or four words at the same time as him. Yeah. And she thinks it's kismet. (laughs) This whole movie is like, is love connected to the power of coincidence? And that is, I'm just like, no. It's it's much in the same way that, like, it's the least common denominator of things happening in the world. It's like if you pick up a paperclip and you think somewhere else in the world somebody's picking up a paperclip, and I'm like, I'm supposed to be with that person. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's just that's such a low bar for connection in the world. It's like Meg Ryan, if you wanna break up with Bill Pullman, many people would be honored to have him. So just break up with him. Don't go through this insane oh God. I can't wait to apply the Buscemi test to this movie. <laughs> Although in this case, it's a female character, so I'm gonna call it the Stevia Buscemi test. <laughs> Stevie is still a woman's name, so Steve you could be this. It could just be the Stevie Buscemi. Stevie, test. oh Stevie Buscemi. Well, I yeah. like Stevia because it's a sh uh, what is it? It's, it's a, a sugar substitute. Oh, yeah. oh. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I might be poisoned. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, "Yeah, this guy seems great," and then she goes into a diner, and they're all like, "Wow, he seems great," and then there are like many women calling into the radio show, and they're like, "Wow, he seems great." And then she gets very emotionally invested in this story, his story, which is not interesting. <laughs> it's like pretty normal. He is, yeah, he's a grieving husband who is not dealing with it well via screaming at his son all the time. Mm -hmm. So not inspiring, actually quite sad. And <laughs> someone should call and be like, should we check in on the son? Like, <laughs> right. I feel like if you play the movie big before this. It feels like a weird sequel oh. to that movie. <laughs> Love except this that, theory. And then, like, except for the Zoltar things, kind of like, make sure my dad meets someone else he can kiss. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect fan theory. <laughs> And she's a she's one of, Meg Ryan has one of the only jobs women are allowed to have in this genre, which is journalist. Mm -hmm. So she goes to work with her friend and colleague Becky, played by Rosie O'Donnell, and everyone's like, "You should turn this into a story. This is interesting." I'm like, and is nothing happening in Baltimore right now? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, "Yeah, this guy seems great. I'm going to write a story about him." And then, meanwhile, Sam gets a bunch of letters from horny women who <laughs> have heard his story and want to be his wife. Yeah. And he's not interested in any of them. So then Annie goes to her brother, uh, Niles. Niles Crane, a.k.a. David Hyde Pierce. There's not really much to talk about Niles' character. So I'm, I'll just say it here. Mm -hmm. This character's office that she goes into at some point, what is his job? Because... <laughs> There's so many wild things in his office while he's like, love is a construct. But he, there's a, an oversized typewriter. What else is there? There's, uh, there's so a many. piano and a harp. There's a large harp. There's, a, like, what? there's a gramophone there's a gram on one side. <laughs> like, I mean, that most of the time when you have David Hyde Pierce in a movie or TV show, you just want him flustered in front of antiques. <laughs> <laughs> And this movie <laughs> delivers on every level. <laughs> David Hyde Pierce is in just a room full of central casting antiques. <laughs> Annie's all like, I'm having these fantasies about this guy who lives in Seattle who I've never met. I'm like questioning whether or not I want to marry Bill Pullman. Mm. And Niles is just like, do whatever you want. Love is a lie. And mm. she's like, okay, you're right. I just have cold feet and I'm going to move on but the, the fact that he's like love is a lie and she's like okay i will get married <laughs> like <laughs> meanwhile sam is talking to his friend i think his name is jay uh, rob reiner mm -hmm. and rob reiner is encouraging him to, him to like get back out into the dating they talk about, they talk about sphere butts. 
Yeah. We're talking about butts. He's like, you got a nice butt, Tom Hanks. And, and Tom Hanks like, is like, you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking about dating and how, like, you know, Sam should get back out there, but it's been so long since he's dated. He doesn't know this, like, changing landscape. And then Rob Reiner's are like, well, there's this decorator woman, Victoria. You should ask her out. Mm-hmm. So he does. Meanwhile, this is where it gets really fun. Annie starts to cyber stalk and then really stalk <laughs> Sam. Which is 10 times as hard to do in 1993. Yes, the, the cyber There's stalking especially. A lot of large hardware mm-hmm. in this movie. I, so I will say there's more female hacking in this movie yes! than yes! most movies in the 90s. There and is, l- yeah. And nobody says, I'm in. <laughs> no. Which I was going to say, representation-wise, is piss poor for the hackers. <laughs> she needs to say, the I'm in. she dares. Well, she's in, is she not? <laughs> That's You're a right. consent thing. you got to say it. <laughs> okay. First of all, hackers should have to say to computers, may I enter? <laughs> And if the computer uh, enthusiastically consents, they can say, I'm in. <laughs> well, it actor, like it was like print, yes, or enter <laughs> factors. Exactly. I think we've all, we've all met somebody off of Craigslist and gone, <laughs> what's your factors? <laughs> so Annie is like, I can't get this guy out of my mind. And she writes him a letter to both Sam and Jonah. And she's like, hey, let's meet on Valentine's Day in New York City at the Empire State Building on the top of it. She proposes the third act of the movie. (laughs) Yes. And then Jonah reads the letter and he's like, wow, I really like the sound of her. But But Sam is like... Well, but Rosie O'Donnell sends it. Meg Ryan's like, I'm not going to send it. right. Because it's scary, right? We've all (laughs) written a scary letter and then not sent it. That's relatable. I've done that many yeah. times. Absolutely. That's the whole premise of To All the Boys I've Loved Before. So <laughs> Everyone's yeah. written a scary letter and then read it back and then been like, hold on. <laughs> Have I become a person I hate? <laughs> but Rosie O'Donnell sends it. Rosie O'Donnell sends it and then Sam reads it, but he dismisses her as a romantic option because she lives in Baltimore and it's too far away from Seattle. Out of all the many... Uh, examples there are to reject her as a romantic <laughs> option in that letter, he chooses distance. Well, he doesn't know that she is stalking him, which she starts to really double down on uh, because, first of all, she hires a detective yeah. to... A very <laughs> unsubtle detective. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, like, take photos of him and, like, spy on him on his date with Victoria. So Sam starts dating Victoria, which upsets Jonah because he's all about... You're new. His wife should be Annie. This random lady who I read a terrifying letter from. (laughs) Like, the Buscemi test. Oh, my God. Oh, but... And and also, the reason we're not supposed to like Victoria is because she laughs. Yeah. 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 She has a sense of humor. She's too expressive, and (laughs) Jonah likes his mothers. (laughs) Silent and Meg Ryan. Again, when you see the the private detective like lean over the balcony <laughs> at them and he's like zooming in. The camera is so loud. <laughs> it sounds like a car backing up. <laughs> it's like, Ehh! 
<laughs> and also that shot zooming in, Tom Hanks is acting wild on this first day. He's like moving his head around. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And then he feeds her, which you're like, Inch, okay, okay. <laughs> Setting a weird precedent for this relationship. Every, everything about that reads like a child in a man's body. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. He wouldn't know for how to act on a date with a grown woman. Yeah. Oh, this is a, this is a good theory. If someone tried to fade me on a first date, I would commit arson. <laughs> <laughs> Be very upset. So meanwhile, Annie is like, well, if I'm going to write this story that I think is interesting, I better go to Seattle. So she uses uh, funding from work, I, I guess. Oh, my God. And then she's getting off her plane at the airport just as coincidentally Sam is seeing off Victoria for a trip that she's going on. And so Sam sees Annie and he's like, hubba, hubba, who is that? And then Annie proceeds to follow him to the beach, to follow him to another beach, spy on him, lurk around, stand in the go streets. to his house. She has found out his address. Yes. Uh, she goes to his house and then sees him like playing with his son. And then she's like, what a nice guy. I love him. She's too far away to see that Tom Hanks is probably yelling at his son <laughs> <laughs> while they play. That's what's making the boat go. <laughs> and then they do come face to face and they say hello to each other. But she has just seen him be really excited to see his friend Susie, played by Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's real life, his Let's, wife. Yeah. And then... Isn't his sister in... Not, no, I'm not saying his wife is his sister. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't Susie supposed to be his sister? I thought or maybe just, just friends. friends. I think it's supposed to be his sister. I think it's oh. supposed to be his sister. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize okay. that. And that's why it's like double ridiculous. And it's like, you thought his sister was his wife? But, but it also, like, he <laughs> does hug her like it's his wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, and that's why Annie is confused. So she's like, oh, man, he's got a girlfriend. I'm just going to go back to Baltimore and forget all about this sleepless in Seattle. But then Jonah buys a flight to New York. With the help of tiny Gabby Hoffman. Mm -hmm. And he goes to the Empire State Building to look for Annie and like waits around and then Sam realizes that his son is missing because he's a bad father and he's th does not keep track of him. He's like, I'm him. yelling and no one is crying. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my son? <laughs> this is how I find out if my son's home. <laughs> you let me down! <laughs> That's son sonar. <laughs> So he goes chasing <laughs> after him, goes to New York City. Meanwhile, Annie and Walter are having like Valentine's dinner and she's just like, I we gotta break up because you have allergies and <laughs> And he's, he's like Okay. <laughs> he's, he is so chill about so it. So he takes it. I'm like, what is going on with Bill Palmer? It's his allergy medication. <laughs> it's affecting his emotional response. Yeah. 
So then she goes to the Empire State Building, and then Sam is arriving there around the same time to get Jonah, but they, like, just miss each other. But wait, Jonah left his backpack, so he and Sam go back, and then they see Annie. A random lady (laughs) who could be anyone. (laughs) But... They're like, are you Annie? And she's like, yeah. So then they hold hands and are in love. <laughs> and, and then there's a bad CGI shot <laughs> of the Empire State Building. Uh-huh. It's so bad. It's really funny. And, and then we're like, and that is Sleepless in Seattle. It ends in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't they have chosen a building in Seattle? <laughs> is a good question. Uh, Um, Yeah. The Space Needle? Realistically, this movie would have ended with Jonah being kidnapped (laughs) Mm -hmm. and Tom Hanks living out the rest of his days wishing he hadn't yelled at his son so much. (laughs) This was more of a take-in situation (laughs) than anything, but... Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, so here's the thing with this movie. It's an all-female reboot of The Stalking Trope. I think it's great. Yes. <laughs> it feels like a pretty standard, you know, 90s rom-com, you know, upon first Does glance. It? But with with a few exceptions, which is that unlike a lot of movies where a woman feels like she needs a man to feel complete or other people are telling her that she needs a man to be complete. She just needs um, a different man this, to feel complete. Right. Well, this yeah. movie is about a boy telling a man that he needs a wife. So that's like sort of a subversion of Right. It? I mean, and, and in Jonah's case, it's a cry for help because... <laughs> He's like, my hey, dad. can we get anyone else in this house? Like, <laughs> that seems you, to be what he's asking. Did y'all have as much fun with how that kid is like his roommate? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, in every Nora Ephron movie, one of the Nora Ephron tropes that is so annoying and is like just the wise child trope. I'm so, I'm like, this kid would be sneezing on things. <laughs> Every, he would be sticky. <laughs> like, right. There are a number of scenes where he's like, yeah, women scratch up men's backs during sex. I've seen it on cable. Right. <laughs> and then, and, and the message of that is like, whoa, Nora Ephron just roasted cable. <laughs> You're like, okay. And okay. then Tom Hanks is like mumbling to himself and he's like, I've fucked six, no, seven women in college. And then he sees that his son is right there. And he's like, how, how long have you been there? And he's like, uh, I've heard you had sex with seven women. And he's like, uh, it was eight, actually. I remembered another one. So he's screaming about all the women he's he fucked screaming. in college. Also, he his, that a whole storyline is like, Son, get out of my way so I can fuck someone. <laughs> he's so annoyed with his son. He's like, son. It's almost like he could set up boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> no. He makes no effort. Yeah, I mean, to like, there's nothing good about this movie, but also there's everything good about this movie. <laughs> so it's it's confusing. Uh, but it's like, uh, we do get to see a male character grieve to some extent. The way he grieves is very toxic and mostly uh by yelling at his son uh-huh. um there is at least a grieving narrative i feel like a lot of the time men are not like part of where to believe the reason that women are attracted to him is because he is grieving his wife at all <laughs> yeah like she's like oh i've got to be with him if i died he'd be pissed <laughs> like <laughs> So the 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 real big subversion, the actual huge subversion of this movie when it comes to like, you know, the rom-com genre is that it's the woman stalking the man this time. Right. Which we've hinted at already, but do it's not stalk. It, <laughs> no. Just do not. Unless it's just on Instagram on a fake account that you have. <laughs> and then stalk away, baby. <laughs> Jonas 67. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just made like a quick list of all the things that she does. Uh, she calls around to figure out how to get in touch with the radio show. Mm -hmm. Then she calls the radio show to get his phone number. She calls his phone number, gets his last name, does a very old Google search slash like hacker thing to search for him, figures out that he's an architect. Because computer said. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
then hires someone to do the background check and to take photos of him. Then she flies to Seattle, shows up at his house. He's not there. She follows him on his boat, lurks around nearby, you know, watches him. A day passes, does the exact same thing where she follows him on a boat. So what <coughs> I'm hearing is she has a lot of agency. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so She's it's good? Right. She sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. very independent. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's a very like active girl. character. Really She's right. Braver, braver, braver. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and the subtext to why women are lusting after Tom Hanks, a man who is truly doing the bare minimum Mm. of grieving his wife, is that women... I mean, there's this whole subtext to this movie that women would do anything to be shown genuine love from a man because it's like we see... Even though Meg Ryan's character is receiving that for most of the movie, and then she's like, nah, I want... A man I know yells at his son. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The idea is that, like, all women, no matter what their circumstances are, are just, like, desperate and, like, horny and just, like, need a man to the extent that they'll, like, send letters to a man they've never met. Something that is brought up a lot in this movie, and I wanted to give some hot context for it is there is a statistic that is cited several points in this movie mm-hmm. uh, saying that, you know, it's easier to get killed by a terrorist than get married after 40. So, does anyone know the backstory for this? Oh, Mensa. All right. Uh, <laughs> so... Nora, so this was a story that was published uh, in Newsweek magazine where Nora Ephron worked for a long time and successfully sued at one point because they were sexist, Mm -hmm. which there is a terrible Amazon Prime series about. Oh. uh, If if anyone cares. But there was a cover story that I believe is in the mid-70s published in Newsweek that I I think Nora Ephron is trying to comment on in this movie because she hates Newsweek magazine Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she sued them. But they they published a cover story about how women over 40 were fucked. Like, that was what the story was. Mm. It was all false statistics. There was, like, Newsweek later had to retract the story. But even so, because the story came out and came out at a time where apparently everyone was reading Newsweek... There were charts. It was written by, wait for it, all men. Mm. And it was saying that, like, single women after a certain point in their life just basically become defunct. And there was this chart that said, like, you're more likely for this to happen. You're more likely for this to happen. And the more likely to be killed by a terrorist thing was the thing everyone remembered. Uh So what Nora Ephron is trying to do is roast Newsweek because Nora Ephron, if you're a fan of hers, is notoriously very petty. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I love her. <laughs> Nora, if you watch, if you learn anything about her and then watch one of her movies, you're like, there she goes again. She can't let anything go. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's, which I can relate with. Um, in, in any case, that's why that is like cited in this script over and over, even though they don't make that clear. It's weird because it's like we first hear that statistic said by Meg Ryan's male co-workers. Yes. Right. And then Meg Ryan, every time it's said, the woman in the scene says, that's not true because they're supposed to be Nora Ephron's pettiness. Um, <laughs> and they're right. It's not true. But 
I feel like there's a lot of, there's a few different male characters written into this script that are like cartoonishly misogynist. Right. So that Meg Ryan will look chill, which she's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the movie makes an attempt to show any man who says this statistic to like show them to be stupid. Stupid, you know. Then, like, Victor Garber, who... Titanic connection. Hot. Uh, <laughs> Victor Garber uh, is so handsome. <laughs> well, like, Rita Wilson's character is like, that's not true. That statistic is not true. And then he's just like, yeah, okay. And, and my that- read was like, the movie's trying to make them seem like idiot assholes. But I don't know. It felt like it wasn't... Because even so, like every time it's employed, the the female character is like, that's not true. But she's still made out to look ridiculous because the scene where Rita Wilson's like, that's not true. She's still sobbing about what sounds like a very troubling movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the men, they're made to seem like idiots. But at the yeah. same time, the women in the movie are all portrayed are, to be like, I need love from a man or more love from a man. Because we've right. got Meg Ryan's character who is in a committed relationship that seems to be caring but then she's like but he's not good enough and i need more romance from a guy uh, in most Nora efron movies her vibe is very much like i'm going to make men and women equally irrational and neurotic and (laughs) impossible to understand their rationale for everything and that's true equality (laughs) (laughs) is everyone's out of their minds Mm -hmm. that's true everyone's yelling at their son just tom hanks is yelling at his son (laughs) okay his son spends time yelling at him his son's a roommate his son is not his son (laughs) his son is 40 (laughs) his son is 40 they're like sitting in an egg-shaped chair listening to the beatles backwards Do you, like, glance over most of the things that, like, a 50-year-old would do with a person he met from a record store? (laughs) Because that's a good portion of this movie. (laughs) I do like that Jonah's, like, best friend is a girl because I feel like there's not that much representation on screen of, like, you know, a a young boy and a young girl being friends. And she she also is, like smart and you know although she also sobs at this this troubling movie she's also a hacker she's a hacker as well yeah Yeah. where she and she knows how to get the tickets she's basically like 93 stub (laughs) hub like she knows how to get the tickets and how to get him on the plane and she sets up the whole itinerary and then she's like okay time to die probably like and then she withholds information about where he is oh, so yeah. that he certainly dies. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie has a happy ending. Feminist icon Jessica. <laughs> One of the big things I noticed about this movie is that the characters within Sleepless in Seattle are very influenced by other media and other movies. Yeah. And, you know, the Cary Grant version of An Affair to Member gets referenced a lot. Annie says something like, you know, she's watching it and she's like, no, those were the days when people knew how to be in love. And Rosie O'Donnell's like, you're, you're crazy. It's a movie. Like, that's your problem. You don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. But this movie, Sleepless in Seattle, is still, it's like the exact same thing. It's still like a romance movie where you're all, we're all tricked into thinking that love is real when I we mean, watch it. Wow. Oh my gosh. Dark. Caitlin. Oh my god. 
So an affair to remember, I did a deep dive on. So an affair to remember is an important part of this movie. It's like where the construct of the Empire State Building and the Valentine's Day comes from. Right. But also, like, it turns out there's a lot of stuff that's from the movie, including, like, somebody being creepy and taking pictures of them. Mm. It doesn't pass the Bechtel test. No. Surprise. <laughs> a movie from 1957 <laughs> doesn't pass the Bechtel test. And it's made it's actually a remake of another movie called Love Affair from oh. 1939. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. So we got it's a star is born basically just they keep <laughs> remaking it. Mm-hmm. But here's the important part. So the important part is in the movie the women cry over it and then the men mock the women for crying over the movie an affair to remember mm-hmm. and get teary-eyed and fake upset about the movie Dirty Dozen. Yes. So I take hormones and there becomes a period at between my dosages of hormones when I have the most amount of testosterone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I manned up. <laughs> <laughs> I had a beer. I watched football. Yeah. I ate a pizza. Then I watched Dirty Dozen. Okay. <laughs> And it was all right. Yeah. This is going to be another shock. It doesn't pass the big test. I know. Are the I dirty know. dozen not all women? <laughs> the, I, the longest a woman's on screen is someone getting stabbed. No. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. You know. Uh, a feminist but, text then. But, yeah. but then to try and, again, with a hypothesis, I had my dosage of estrogen Mm -hmm. and then i watched an affair to remember okay and i think i timed it wrong it just like put me to sleep it was just (laughs) there's a couple kind of there's a couple like musical numbers there's musical numbers and all the other affair to remember remakes okay and it's quasi racist sure of Um, course cool but uh the only other thing to let you know is there's another remake of an affair to remember that's an Indian one. Mm-hmm. So there's a Bollywood version of an affair to remember Whoa. called Mon, and that one's three hours long. Uh-huh. <laughs> I watched that one. <laughs> Sober. Andy, um, why? It, ha- it has four dance numbers, Whoa. and they're all good. Yeah. It passed the Bechdel test. <laughs> But then then I have a new test, which is finding the movies that are three hours long but still somehow don't pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. Like, there are, so there are more than a few, but I was... Yeah. Yeah, that's so. That was my research. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. WikiLeaks. That was crazy. <laughs> Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? 
why did the internet choose them, and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, An Affair to Remember did not make you cry like it does all of the women in this movie. You know, I mistimed it because I ended up, like, watching my roommates were watching, uh, like, Steven Universe the next day. And I was, like, <laughs> in tears. <laughs> like, I was in, I get in tears over the most ridiculous things. Like, uh -huh. when I have a head full of estrogen. <laughs> So. Thank you for <laughs> this deep dive that you have this done. Is, this is sorry. why. This is why. Uh, and this didn't help you at all. <laughs> no, this is this is very good context was, for the conversation we're gonna have. That was content, content, content. I loved it. <laughs> I just don't understand. In movies, so often that are like referencing older movies, they kind of keep continually saying like, "Ah, oh, this is when love was real back when." Women couldn't vote. Like they're like okay. it's like we see all these female characters longing for a time when they had less rights and and then this movie kind of reinforces the idea that like there are certain movies that are women's movies and there are certain movies that are guys' movies because like the women are all crying over, including like Gabby Hoffman are crying over yeah. an affair to remember. The men are making fun of them. They're saying, "Oh, Dirty Dozen is uh, yeah. what, what I like to watch. Yeah, I like Dirty Dozen and Coming. My name is <laughs> My name is Victor Garber." <laughs> It was like, ew. Victor Garber is, this is the only role I've ever seen him in that I was like, oh, how could you? Like, he... Uh, legally Blonde. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, he's, he's hot in that movie, though. It's like, he's not... <laughs> so, I, I forgive everything. Okay. Um, in this movie, he was wearing an outfit that, no, I was, I was like, oh, I could take or leave this look, and he was being horrible, so... I, uh, I did like the uh, constant acronyms from the kids... Like H, yeah. H and B. Hi and bye. Why didn't that stick? And then there's the weird part where like Jonah is talking about reincarnation and the possibility yeah. of reincarnation and how he could be reincarnated from another another plane. <laughs> 
this kid is on mushrooms. <laughs> He's listening to Beatles records backwards <laughs> and talking about reincarnation. It's it's probably that we like find out that he's 36 and adopted. <laughs> oh. We're just seeing him from an outside perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one more thing where a character is uh, influenced by a movie is Sam talks about fatal attraction oh, and yes. how it scared yeah. the shit out of him. He's like, it scared the shit out of me and every man in America. And he cites that as a reason to not go and meet Annie in New York City. Which doesn't make sense because it has nothing to do with fatal attraction. And you can literally, it was just so dumb of like a line that it's like, remember that movie that's semi-recent? And so it, the movie practically like pauses for laughs. So everyone could be like, fatal attraction. Women who want careers are scary. <laughs> like, um, but, but it has nothing to do with fatal attraction. It's the same punchline that's like, this is at a time when uh, the crying game is still used as a punchline for a reveal <laughs> about a trans oh, woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, this is this is a big time, like, crying game. And, like, we're supposed to laugh. And there were like, so many. Get it? Or it's like, no. Yeah, there were so many, like, trans panic movies from, the, like, uh, Silence of the Lambs. And yeah. then earlier was uh, Sleepaway Camp. Like, oh, yeah. God. oh I haven't seen that. There's a line where Rosie O'Donnell says the following. The guy could be a crackhead, a transvestite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that'd be trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, no, there's more work to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is still in the yeah. middle of, like, trans women are dangerous. This mm-hmm. is, like, the hot part in the 90s. Oh, where for that's sure. Like, yeah, we're... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now we're in danger. How progressive. <laughs> Can we talk about the map graphic that seems to happen? <laughs> it's like you can I go like to the ba- you can go to the bathroom and then come back and no, it's still going across. <laughs> I like I think that that was like a st- first of all this movie it does take place in too many cities, <laughs> so I found it helpful. Um, <laughs> And I kind of like when movies are like, let's assume everyone seeing this movie is an absolute idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And they like can't remember it because I am that viewer and it was helpful for me. I don't know how how worth it is to talk about this, but there is discussion of like the changing landscape of dating that the Sam character has to deal with. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Tom Hanks and Rob Reiner's characters are talking about, you know, like, Sam's got to get back out there. The boys are getting some brews, and they're talking about the chicks. (laughs) There is a moment where we we, uh, alluded to this earlier, but they talk about Tom Hanks's butt. And I feel like a lot of movies would, like, especially from this era, would have taken that opportunity to do, like, no homo. I I don't know if you're attractive or not. Like, (laughs) But Rob Reiner's like, I think it's a good butt. And Tom Hanks says... Thanks. Yeah. I thought that was genuinely cute. Yeah, I did I, too. Like, <laughs> even upon rewatching, I thought it was very cute. I was like, all right, you got me. <laughs> right. But then uh, Rob Reiner's like, well, nowadays you split the check with your date. And then Sam's like, I don't think I could ever let a woman pay for dinner. So he is not a feminist icon. Right. <laughs> but also, if a man is like that, like, take his money. <laughs> like, <laughs> so... <laughs> Like, if a guy gets all fucking scary white night, he's like, no, madame. I was like, all right, fine. I, I will get more. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> Dipshit. Uh. <laughs> 
And then he works up the nerve to call Victoria, who is called a hoe in this movie like 40 yeah. times. Like treated so terribly. Yeah. She did nothing wrong. Right. No. All she did is enjoy herself. <laughs> yeah. She just giggled here and there when Tom Hanks made a goof. It's... It's the same, like, treatment if you, like, go back and watch an episode of Seinfeld. You're like, that person just has one thing that makes them quirky, and they're exaggerating (laughs) it so much as a reason to, like, break up with them. Yeah. And that's, like, one of the things that I saw that uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan's character actually had in common is that they would write off what seems like a positive relationship based on one thing, such as laughing or allergies. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, they deserve each other. They're horrible. They're both basically George Costanza, yes. (laughs) Like, Um, I'm fine sleeping in a room with a humidifier. (laughs) Like, that's not bad. That's kind of, that can be rather nice. (laughs) Who doesn't like a rainforest? <laughs> well, yeah, I, f- I feel b- I feel for Victoria in this movie because she truly seems like she really likes him. For quite some time, it seems like he likes her as well. But yeah. it's like Jonah just goes rogue. Like he's <laughs> just, he hates her. It is so unclear. He just is like, no, I want scary lady now. And like... <laughs> He the just goes totally rogue. He's on mushrooms, though. The, so. the kid goes full incel. He does. Because <laughs> yeah. then whenever he does work up the nerve to call Victoria and like ask her out, that phone conversation, we only hear Sam's side of it, but it's clear that like she's calling all the shots. Like She's deciding where to go to dinner, what time they're going to go. They're going to meet there rather than like him picking her up. And like her being just a decisive woman who knows what she wants is framed by the movie as being like oh no she's scary and weird so i didn't like that (laughs) but she yeah it's like she's truly just uh out here trying to have a job and a relationship okay Mm -hmm. right leave victoria alone but then she says like i'm so glad you called me i thought you were never gonna call and it's like call him i hope she and bill pullman met each other because that's a lovely story (laughs) Does, is it me or does Bill Pullman look like face from the A team for the most of the time? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. know. I'm that reference. Sorry, sorry. I this is peak Bill Pullman for mm. me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's firing on all cylinders here. He's about to reach peak Bill Pullman, which canonically is Daddy and Casper. <laughs> that is. Uh, he his character I it 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 sucks because he truly <laughs> did nothing wrong but it's just like any I don't know in some ways I feel like it's punishing him for any sort of gentleness and like yeah. making out gentleness in a man to be emasculating and a weakness and something that Meg Ryan seems to find completely repulsive is that when he is affectionate towards her she's like Ugh, and she gets in the closet with her radio <laughs> and or you know the fact that he has any illness makes right. her you know and and it i don't know it's it's just so bizarre the way this character is treated but victoria is treated much the same way of like she's doing nothing wrong she seems to be invested in the relationship and they're just both treated like dog shit yeah but the thing with Bill Pullman's character is that scene at the end where Meg Ryan, can you imagine someone you are about to marry sits you down and says, okay, so there's this radio show. 
on Valentine's Day. It's literally like if someone in this audience, like if there's a couple here who's about to get married, and then one of you sat the other one down and is like, so there's this podcast called The Backdoor Cast. <laughs> I, I was going to update it further. It's like, so I met somebody on Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> or, okay, it's like, okay, if, if I so say I'm getting married, I sit the person I'm getting married down and I'm like, listen, I heard this show called The Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to marry Joe Rogan. <laughs> Today and, and and my partner was like, I totally understand. <laughs> We've already figured out the wedding favor is gonna be a DMT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, his reaction uh, is so accommodating that is he on mushrooms? <laughs> I I just feel so badly for for him. There could be a super cut of all of the partners of the different main couples across these movies just totally piecing out from the relationship totally amicably. Yeah. And it is ridiculous. It is there are different levels of like no, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to be happy. <laughs> it's like no one wants Meg Ryan to be happy. Well, <laughs> well, what's what's uh, the alternative? He like captures her and he's like, you're mine. No, no. I think the alternative is like, okay, this fucking sucks. <laughs> but if this is what you have to do, I guess fuck off. Like <laughs> he could speak to her as if he were frustrated. Sure. What she's doing is obnoxious and unhinged. Sure. So... <laughs> There is a, uh, a weird trope that I need, uh, if you have more examples of this trope, please shout it out, but uh, Ghost of His Wife trope uh, appears in this movie. It also happens in Casper with <laughs> Ghost Daddy Bill Pullman. The only person hotter in Casper than Bill Pul Pullman is Bill Pullman's ghost. <laughs> During I the part where Bill this. Pullman's a ghost. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Tom Hanks' wife comes over. She's in a nightgown. She's got a glass of wine. <laughs> like, And Tom Hanks is just like, I miss you, my wife. And she's I, like, it's okay. But uh, we agree that they're, like, in Seattle by that point, right? Yeah. Yes. The ghost so, had to get on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the ghost, the ghost came with them. Like, <laughs> it's an old chest of drawers she died in. And they're like... <laughs> I know this fell on her and killed her, but let's just keep it around. That was just like a weird extension of the his wife trope. Is like she just came to deposit a piece of wisdom and to basically give him permission yeah. to fuck Meg Ryan at some point. Right. Um, which is, you know, I mean, she was already, her headstone has already been yelled at by Tom Hanks. And to add insult <laughs> to injury, they got a flyer ghost out to Seattle <laughs> to say it's okay to hook up with Meg Ryan. I don't find that trope to be that troubling. I just, I just think it's bad writing. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. But there are certainly more regressive tropes around. I, th I think it's dumb. It it I think it works in movies that are like supernatural I guess but yeah. then again like you end up with something where a wife has to die to be some sort of mechanism for the movie moving forward right yeah. like yeah. some woman has to die yeah true it's and and I mean Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan both need kind of just to 
continue acting as they're acting throughout the movie, which is irrationally. I feel like they add in characters to give them permission to act that way. I think Rosie O'Donnell's character is used like that a lot, mm-hmm. where sometimes Meg Ryan will call her and just be like, is what I'm doing unsafe and irrational? And there's like a scene where Rosie O'Donnell's like, somehow, no. <laughs> <laughs> and Meg Ryan's like, sounds good. Hear that, audience? It's fine. Click. Like, I, I, it's I, just so fucking weak. <laughs> I will say Rosie O'Donnell is like, She's almost cast like a quasi Ricky Lake in the role, mm. and she nails Baltimore. Like, oh, that okay. is a Baltimore attitude in a kind of curt, oh. blunt way. Mm-hmm. And I give them props for that. But then again, like, that newspaper would just be covering murders. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, more going on in Baltimore. No, this. no, there's a lonely man in Seattle. Sorry, this corpse just washed up in front of your house. Because <laughs> we found corpses in front of our house. We're, really? we, I worked right there. And they would just like have to shut off our work because just find bodies. Oh, my God. Not, not necessarily murders, just like, you know... A corpse. Sure. <laughs> of course. That died of natural causes? <laughs> well, like, yeah, as like, you know, a drug person falls in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we know I'm from the sad. jinx, uh, that corpse <laughs> that washes up, feminist not a murder. The jinx. <laughs> that was uh, Robert Durst uh, self-defending himself. <laughs> yeah, you dismember our, your neighbor <laughs> in self-defense. Anyway. He's innocent. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, our, our other uh, female character that we see semi-frequently is Sam's sister, played by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't really know that much about her, except that she, she, I mean, she's sort of used as like an exposition machine, basically, to be like, hey, you should move to, I don't know, Seattle? I mean, she just sort of functions in relation the to first, Sam. Yeah, the first thing that she says is, uh, here's how to make food, because women be women cooking. Women be cooking. Uh, <laughs> and then later, that long scene where she is recapping the movie of a, An Affair to Remember and crying during it. So at least I don't do that as I'm recapping. <laughs> Movies yeah. on the podcast, but it's I am Victor Garbering the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a movie you would cry as you recite back the oh, Paddington Two? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just like an emotional robot, but describing a movie doesn't make me cry. Does that happen? Do people cry when you describe a movie? I don't think people describe movies to each other very much. <laughs> I think we just do that. But I think that's one of, <laughs> one, that's one of the things of this movie. Like, women are just shown as being so emotional that, like, the thought of a romantic story will make you just cry for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's stupid. Yeah. So. <laughs> but also, I cry constantly at the drop of a hat about many things. Okay. However, the description of that movie sounds just like... Oh, no. I, I will <laughs> say, in the middle of Mon, the three-hour Bollywood version <laughs> of essentially of this movie, uh-huh. there becomes a part where the, the female lead starts washing the feet of the grandmother in the temple. And uh, I got teary-eyed during that. Okay. That's, a, that's where uh, that it passes sense. the Bechdel test, too. Oh. Oh. I, I mean, crying during a movie, I think, is normal. But crying d- while during describing a, a movie, <laughs> yeah, that... 
I don't know, not to shame anyone who does that, but I feel like that just doesn't happen very often. But all the women shown in this movie are constantly talking about an affair to remember. Even like the the security guard at the end is like, oh, yeah, I'm at the Empire State Building and you're trying to go up to the roof. Just like that movie, it's my wife's favorite. Like, yeah. even, it, you could have easily been like written at that so that he, it was, he his, was favorite, his favorite, but nope. There are boy movies and there are girl movies. Only. I mean, well, boys, as we all know, should be listening to Beatles records backwards (laughs) and being yelled at by their fathers. (laughs) Do we have any other final thoughts? Uh, No, this movie absolutely blows. Don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Should we take some questions, comments from the crowd? Any uh, QCs? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Come yeah. come on down so that you're talking into the mic. Yes, mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I just wanted to mention my favorite scene in the movie where half the cast is yelling at Gabby Hoffman about where that annoying kid is. <laughs> and her father walks up and introduces himself saying, this is your father speaking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like explaining who he is to her. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. I hope that that was them meeting for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, listen, I was called in after nine years. How old are those kids? Like like eight, nine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Forty. Yeah, I think that that was them meeting. Uh, (laughs) Canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I thought it was interesting. I don't want to know your thoughts on this, that the only attribute that the child Jonah gets to learn about his mom is that she could peel an apple like in one whole strip and that somehow is the, like, I don't know. That was just weird. That is, thank you for bringing that up because that is, first of all, so specific that hearing it said out loud, you're like, ew? (laughs) And then just to be sure, you also see Meg Ryan do it and then you're like, ew. (laughs) No one would do that, ew. Why is she so handy with a knife? Why is, it's like seeing it's, this stalker character use a knife handily is like yikes. That's like in all action movies when somebody's like peeling like an apple with a Bowie knife, you know yeah. they're gonna be the one to stab somebody. Yes. Here. Right. Like that seems like it's an omen. Right. <laughs> when she's like listening to him on the radio and is like it's like she's thinking of that as like his skin. <laughs> and she's crying during that scene too because women be crying all the time. But not so hard they can't see their knife. <laughs> like when I could Thank sleep. you for bringing that up. When I couldn't sleep, mom would split wood with a hatchet. She sharpened <laughs> on her foot. <laughs> uh, any other questions, comments? Yeah. So I just need to get this off my chest because I'm super embarrassed about this. Mm-hmm. I've seen this movie once years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember nothing about it before coming to the show. But this was like my partner and my like movie that we watched on our first date. And oh. I guess we found this like romantic enough to like still be dating like four years later. <laughs> but we started like, oh sleepless in Seattle and now I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> brave for sharing. Yes. Your story. Is, let's applaud this bravery please. <laughs> Thank you. You're you're do you have any couple movies? Like the movies you have as a in your relationships, or I think I've told this anecdote on the podcast before, but in one of my worst relationships ever, <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> it started with 
the gentleman, if you can call him that. Okay, I went over to his apartment. I was like 19 or 20. And he was just like, I love drive. (laughs) 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 Ever seen it? And I was like, no. And he was like, let's watch it. I have it in the DVD player already. (laughs) He had drive queued up. And then we were watching it. I personally think that movie is a fucking drag. Uh, was not enjoying it. And then he was just, you know, like, there's a scorpion jacket in the movie. And he kept looking over. He's just like, that jacket's cool, right? And I was like, I guess. And <laughs> 20 minutes later, he was like, I have that jacket. <laughs> okay, but that's also the jacket they uh, what is it? Uh, somebody help me out here. He's the jacket also in a, cr- a gay cruising movie. Oh, really? Yeah, it's oh. a really famous jacket, like a Scorpio Rising jacket. Oh, wild. Uh, I was, know uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's from it's a like gay... like a reference cr- to something? Yeah, it's a gay cruising jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So he's like, I have the jacket. He pulls the jacket out of his closet and just leaves it next to me suggestively. <laughs> And then 20 minutes later, he's like, I've always wanted to make out while a girl's wearing that jacket. And then I dated him for three years. Oh, my God. I'm a feminist. (laughs) I've never been in a relationship, so I have no (laughs) movies. I'm in a relationship with myself, and our movie is Paddington. (laughs) Hell, yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think I didn't know <laughs> that Paddington 2 was better? I, I still haven't seen Paddington. Oh. Oh. Caitlin made me watch it on Christmas. So <laughs> I saw the first one by myself, and I enjoyed it. It's so it's good. They're great. They're great. I, I think we, me and my partner, ours is just the... It's really just the seventh season of Simpsons. Because you like... You have to decide, if you're in a long enough relationship, you have to decide which season of The Simpsons you agree is the best. (laughs) I can tell you right now, it'll help you. We've been together for 17 years. Whoa! So yeah, you find the season that we liked season seven. Okay. (laughs) Beautiful. That's a beautiful love story. Uh, Gang, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Well, I... (sighs) There is a quick exchange toward the beginning where Annie's mom is holding up a dress. And so they talk about this dress back and forth for a couple lines. But the rest of the conversation is about Walter and about Annie's dad. And the context is like, here, take this dress so that you can marry a man. Right. So you can marry Bill Pullman. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't Uh, feel like it passes at all. Yeah, every other exchange either... I thought there was an exchange between Meg and Rosie where they're talking about a Polaroid commercial and there's something about a refrigerator. Oh. I wasn't fully listening. This movie's very boring, but... (laughs) Yeah, I I know they're not talking about a man. They're talking about some commercial. I missed that one, but there are a number of exchanges. There aren't as many as you would think, I guess, but... Because there are a lot of female characters in yeah. this movie they're just they're not really frequently seen interacting with the exception of like uh, Meg Ryan and Rosie O'Donnell right yeah and almost all of their conversations are about a man in Seattle that she's never met or does it, Walter does it count as a conversation if she's yelling at the radio where Dr. Mark I wrote that down too 
I was like, if she's yelling at Dr. Marsha. Uh, <laughs> no, but also a compelling <laughs> argument. Does it pass the Bechdel test if Tom Hanks is yelling at a child? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I think uh, Alfred Molina could <laughs> have played Jonah. You stepped on my toes. I'm so sorry. I think he could have played Jonah, and I think he could have played Jonah well. (laughs) I I think if Tom Hanks is yelling at Alfred Molina, who's playing a (laughs) nine-year-old, we've got a psychological thriller on our hands, (laughs) and I would love it. So uh, that's, yeah. Also, it uh, tragically passes the Bechdel test. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I'd seen two different readings where it, like, did or didn't pass the test. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I I will say I did think that that exchange with Meg and Rosie did pass. Okay. Um, yeah, that... I totally forgot so that says something yeah, about that conversation <laughs> yeah. i've seen this movie three times in the past week I, and i I've don't remember that conversation so boring. <laughs> i watched this movie like 45 minutes ago yeah. <laughs> i still don't recall yeah but i guess it's, it passes so hooray so yeah it is so female stalking is fine it's not <laughs> uh well, with that, let's rate it on our nipple scale. Zero yeah. to five nipples based on its portrayal of women. I think that it gets like a half nipple. Women are portrayed as just being these like blubbering, like always crying, like hyper emotional, like no matter what, I, I need more men in my life. Uh, yeah, the fact that she is stalking and that's not addressed in any way and it's actually seen as being very cool and romantic she's um, given permission to do it by multiple <laughs> characters as so like when you do it it's okay right like, right Stevia the movie Buscemi. subverts the trope of men stalking women but that's also not good so yeah i guess a half nipple because gabby hoffman who <laughs> are you giving your nip to I'll give my nipple to, I guess, to Nora Ephron. Yeah. 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 Uh, Because she did write and direct it. So, I mean, we've got a a female filmmaker, but she didn't do a very good job. (laughs) I'm going to give this movie a nipple and a half. Okay. Because I I am a Nora Ephron stan, even though she, you know, mistakes are made. (laughs) But um, she did marry Carl Bernstein and then they got divorced, and then she roasted him nonstop until she died, which was <laughs> fucking incredible. And I, I, I just, I love Nora Ephron so much. Um, and uh, that has nothing to do with this movie, although mm. you know she's clearly the the person driving it. But it's weird. There, uh, I think the kind of a recurring problem throughout her movies is that she kind of tries to have it both ways a lot of time, where all her female characters are very active, mm-hmm. but what they're active doing, you're like, oh no. <laughs> like, they're, I mean, we can't deny Meg Ryan's character is active as fuck because she is committing crimes, you yeah. know? Like, she is, she's actively stalking someone the whole movie. Uh, She's trying to subvert things at times that I think miss the mark with like uh, every time a woman, you know, refutes like, no, that 
terror statistic is wrong. But then she's also kind of made to look dumb in the same scene, women mm-hmm. being blubbering uh, dummies. But they're also hackers, so... You know, it's true. She, I, there, there's a, there's a lot of mixed bagginess to to this movie that doesn't. I don't even think that like the female stalker thing is an issue of its time. It's just like weird. Okay, uh, but I'll go nipple and a half, and I, I'll give uh, one to Nora, and I'll give the other half to Rosie. All right, Andy, I'll, I'm gonna give it. Uh, well, considering I'd watched all of the other, there's <laughs> a Love Affair, there's Affair to Remember, there's the other Love Affair from 94, there's mm-hmm. a, the Bollywood movie, and then this, I think in the oeuvre of all the <laughs> sure. affairs, that I, I wasn't think it's, aware it's the only one where a woman doesn't get struck down in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> So can I give it at least one nipple for that? Yeah, <laughs> sure. And I'll give th- another nipple for the for the girl Jessica, mm-hmm. um, and also for the I'll cross both those nipples to uh, for the hopeful sequel that follows Jonah and Jessica as Jonah goes on to in- create Instagram, <laughs> 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 and Jessica m- invents the first Himalayan salt lamp. Oh. <laughs> Compelling. I like that movie. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this movie is uh, boring, <laughs> and I don't like it. Um, thanks for coming. Yes, thanks. <laughs> uh, Andy, where can people follow you online? What would you like to plug? Yeah, I I do the comedy nest downstairs here in the grotto every Tuesday. It's an awesome, hate-free, female-focused show and room. Great. Sweet. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, give it up for for Andy. Andy. Uh, Oh, oh, my my coworkers are probably listening to this right now. I'm probably on break. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, Thank you for coming. Give it up for yourselves. Thank you. There you have it. That was the last of the live shows that we recorded on our West Coast tour. Thanks again to our guest, Andy Iwancio, for joining us. Thank you to the Jewelbox Theater at the Rendezvous in Seattle and all of their staff for helping us to put on the various shows that we did there in Seattle. Thanks again to Sam Junio for recording the show and being our road dog for the West Coast tour. Uh, And speaking of tours, we've got another one coming up in the Northeast. We will be in New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Boston at the end of April and beginning of May. So check out our website, bechtelcast.com, and click on Live Appearances for all of the dates, venues, and other details for those shows. And if you live in or near any of those places, we hope to see you there. And then all the usual stuff. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BechtelCast. Write and review us on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Subscribe to our Matreon at patreon.com slash BechtelCast, where we do two bonus episodes every single month, and it's only $5. What a damn good special. Uh, And then we've also got merch at tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast, including a few new designs, by our very own Jamie Loftus, like Woman in STEM and Rise of the Matriarchy. 
and that about does it for this episode so thanks as always for listening and this is sleepless in seattle signing off just kidding it's caitlin bye bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 's writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.